The reading of Scripture comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7, beginning at verse 36. Let us, let us ask the Lord, whose Spirit breathed out this word and preserved it in Holy Scripture for us, to breathe upon us afresh, that we might receive it for what it is, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, the inerrant word of God. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, how we thank you for the glorious gospel of your Son, Jesus Christ. And we pray in his name for the blessing of the Holy Spirit upon us to grant to us spiritual wisdom and discernment and insight. O Lord, open our hearts that we might receive your word for the healing of our souls and the strengthening of our lives to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Let us hear the word of God. It is written. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. And Jesus went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that Jesus was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster, alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at Jesus' feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair of, of her head and, and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus, answering, said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, Jesus said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now to him who loves us 
who has freed us from our sins by His blood. To Jesus Christ be all praise, honor, glory, and dominion forever and ever. Amen. All things being equal, Simon the Pharisee was probably a pretty good guy. Uh, don't let his title as a Pharisee automatically give you the wrong impression, a negative impression. The Pharisees were conservative with regard to religion, morality, and politics. The Pharisees were keepers of tradition. Uh, at a time when Jewish identity and Jewish tradition were in danger of being uh, diluted and contaminated by the paganism of the Roman Empire. As pillars of the Jewish community, the Pharisees were very much concerned about the next generation and the next in terms of their religious purity, and their national security. Now, some of the Pharisees, of course, you know, had begun to oppose Jesus' ministry, and that's the reason that we have the negative impression of them. But they thought they were opposing Jesus for all the right reasons. From their perspective, Jesus was a Sabbath breaker. They were wrong about that. From their perspective, Jesus was a blasphemer. They were wrong about that. From their perspective, Jesus was this, un this unclean person who went about receiving tax collectors and sinners and eating with them. They were right about that, and that didn't fit with their system of religious purity. So they thought they had legitimate reasons for opposing Jesus. And Simon the Pharisee may have had some of these concerns about Jesus, but nevertheless, Simon the Pharisee showed hospitality to Jesus. Simon invited him to his house for dinner, which is a very special show of hospitality in that culture. And perhaps like another Pharisee, you might have met in the Gospel of John, Nicodemus. Do you remember Nicodemus? Perhaps like Nicodemus, Simon the Pharisee wanted to get to know Jesus a little bit better. Perhaps was willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. Perhaps wanted to have personal conversation. Perhaps conversation about spiritual things with Jesus. I mean, we don't know for sure, but we do know, what we do know is that Simon the Pharisee showed hospitality to Jesus. He invited him to his house for dinner. So, you know, I would say that all things being equal, Simon the Pharisee was probably a pretty good guy. But she, she was a wretch. We do not know her name, but she was not unknown in that town.
She was known. She had an identity. A woman of the city who was a sinner. And when Luke says sinner, he doesn't mean your general run-of-the-mill everyday sinner like everybody's a sinner. Oh, no. No, 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 no. She had earned a reputation. She had gained an identity in that town as a sinner. And then she sauntered into Simon the Pharisee's house, right into his dining room. Talk about crashing a party. Now, in first century Palestine, it was not all that unusual for uninvited guests to wander in and out of someone's house during a dinner party. But for this woman to have shown up at Simon the Pharisee's house must have been an especially embarrassing situation. So let's just picture it. Here is the upstanding Pharisee graciously hosting Jesus, perhaps a prophet, and other guests are there on their best behavior. <laughs> and in she walks. And she is not shy. She does not wait in a shadowy corner for a time to speak discreetly with Jesus. No, 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 no. She walks right up to the dining table where Jesus and the other guests are reclining. And in front of all those guests, she opens up her alabaster jar of perfumed ointment and she begins to weep and to bathe Jesus' feet with her tears and to wipe them with her hair and to kiss his feet and uh, anoint them with that expensive ointment. And she wasn't supposed to do that. Her sin, her life of sin, her un uncleanness was like, well, well, it was like it was like a contagious virus which infected and contaminated. Everything and everyone she touched. <laughs> she really should have been practicing social distancing. And that's the reason that Simon the Pharisee said to himself, now note verse 39, Luke tells us, Simon said to himself, which really means Simon thought to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him because she is a sinner. <laughs> Notice that. Watch it. Simon's thought is not really about the woman. But you see, his thought about the woman leads him to a thought about Jesus. Oh, He's not a prophet. Oh, no, no, no. A true prophet would know what kind of woman this is and, and would, would not let her touch him. 
So you see, Simon's attention and concern have, have really, at this point, they've turned toward Jesus's identity. Oh no, not a prophet, not a prophet. But because Simon is a pretty good guy, because he didn't want to seem inhospitable to Jesus, perhaps didn't want to make more of an embarrassing situation, he didn't call attention to the situation. And so Simon just kept his thoughts to himself. Or at least (laughs) he thought that he kept his thoughts to himself. But how do you keep your thoughts to yourself when you're in the presence of the one who knows the secrets of the heart? Jesus said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Say it, teacher. Say it. Please say something. Right? And then Jesus told him the parable of the two debtors. A certain money lender had loaned money, and one of the debtors owed 500 denarii, and the other owed 50. Now, a denarii was uh, a, a, about a day's wage in those days. So that's the difference between 500 days' wages and 50 days' wages. And the money lender canceled the debt of And Jesus asked Simon, which of the debtors will love the moneylender more? And Simon answered, well, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus said, right. And then he went on to compare and contrast the way in which this woman, sinner, had showed her love and gratitude and devotion to Simon in contrast with Simon's behavior toward him. And and Jesus was making the point that that woman was like the man in the parable who had had his 500 denarii debt canceled. Her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But he who is forgiven, he is who is forgiven little, loves little. Now those words must have stung Simon, and they were meant to sting him and confuse him. Now, first of all, Simon must have realized. He must have realized that Jesus did, in fact, know who and what kind of woman that was. Her sins, which are many, he said, and nevertheless allowed her to to touch him. And then Simon must have realized that Jesus knew what he was thinking. And then it must have seemed to Simon that the rug had been ripped out from under him and he was upside down in the middle of a spiritual somersault. He he who is forgiven little loves little. What, 
What did, what did he mean by that? What did, what did Jesus mean by that? I mean, after all, Simon the Pharisee, upstanding, reputable, keeper of the law, Simon the Pharisee prided himself and uh, took a great deal of comfort and security in the fact that he, he needed to be forgiven only a little. Only a little. That was at the core of his identity as a Pharisee. He, he needed to be forgiven only a little. What, what did Jesus mean? I mean, wasn't that a good thing? Wasn't it a good thing that, that, that Simon, the Pharisee, needed to be forgiven only a little? I, was Jesus saying that it was actually better to have been a sinner, a great and terrible sinner like this woman, because then when we're forgiven much, we'll love him more? Is it, is it better to have been a great sinner like that woman than to be a pretty good guy? Like Simon? No, no, that's not what Jesus meant. That wasn't the point, but Jesus stung Simon the Pharisee. So that he could see. So that he could see the personal, demonstrative, expressive, expensive, unashamed, unreserved love poured out from that woman's heart in contrast to the proper and impersonal and formal and polite, conservative, customary, socially acceptable hospitality shown to him by Simon. What was the point of Jesus' parable of the two debtors? This woman, a woman of the city who was a sinner, came to Jesus that night in the home of a Pharisee, risking the rejection and the ridicule of everyone in that house in order to express her love, her gratitude, and her devotion to Jesus. She was demonstrating her faith in Jesus as the one who could save her from her sins and even save her from herself. And in fact, though Luke does not tell us this explicitly, we can infer, I think it's right to infer that this woman had somehow experienced the grace and mercy of God through Jesus on a previous occasion in a different situation, though perhaps only from a distance. Now, we, we can't know about that with certainty, but it seems that somewhere, somehow, she had experienced the mercy and love of God through Jesus on a previous occasion. Perhaps she had heard him proclaim Forgiveness of sins to others. Or had, she had seen him welcome other sinners. She had heard about the way that he 
He would sit down at table with tax collectors and sinners. And she had experienced a kind of secret conversion. And now her heart was filled to overflowing with gratitude and love. And she was not ashamed to show it. And so she poured forth from the depths of her redeemed soul these tears of repentance and faith and love and devotion to Jesus. She was like the man in the parable who had had his 500 denarii debt canceled and she knew it. She loved much because she had been forgiven much and she knew it. Her great love for Jesus was her response to his great love for her. And she knew it. She loved him because she knew that he first loved her. She loved much because she knew that she had been forgiven much. Now, Think about this passage in terms of familiar doctrinal truths which you hear Pastor Jonathan and me affirm every Sunday from this pulpit. Salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Those aren't merely abstract ideas for our heads. Those are spiritual realities which actually happen in real life to real sinners by the working of the Holy Spirit. They, they are personal realities in personal experience. Let me ask you, what does salvation by grace alone look like? What does justification by faith alone in Christ alone look like? Well, the evidence of it looks like a wretched woman with a wrecked life, weeping at the feet of Jesus, shedding tears of love and gratitude and devotion because she has received the forgiveness of all her sins and the healing of her soul through Jesus Christ through Jesus Christ who would bear her sin and bear her shame as her substitute on the cross, listen to this, to pay her debt, to pay her debt, to pay her debt, the debt of all her sins. Think about a passage such as Romans 5, 6 through 8. While we were still weak, utterly helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though for a good person one might even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. Now, don't you think that even before the Apostle Paul ever 
thought about writing Romans 5, that woman had really experienced the truth and the spiritual reality of Romans 5 in her heart. Wasn't she responding to the love which ultimately would be shown by the death of Jesus on the cross? Or, for example, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Brothers and sisters, that is more than a memory verse. It is more than a doctrinal proposition. Of course, it is truth to be believed, but we have not really believed it until it has moved us personally to break open the expensive alabaster jar of our hearts and weep at the feet of Jesus with tears of love and gratitude and devotion. You see, that woman had personally experienced the truths which we read about in Romans 5 and Ephesians 2 in her personal experience with Jesus even before his death and resurrection. Something, somewhere had happened in her life in some encounter with Jesus by the working of the Holy Spirit such that she had been born again and given a new life debt free. And she knew it. Let me ask you, who are you? Are you Simon the Pharisee? Or are you this sinner woman? How do you really feel about the grace and mercy of God in Jesus Christ? How much do you value Him and what he has done for you. Are you the debtor who has been forgiven 500 denarii? Or only 50? What do you think? And consider the fact that whenever a debt is forgiven, isn't this the case? Isn't this true? Whenever a debt is forgiven, in reality, what that means is that the one to whom the debt is owed is the one who pays the debt. Right? The one, whenever a debt is forgiven, the one to whom the debt is owed is the one who bears the cost. And the bottom line is that God himself, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is that God himself has paid in full with the life and death of Jesus Christ the full cost, the full debt forgiveness of our sin. How have you responded to that. You know, all things being equal, I think that Simon the Pharisee was probably a pretty good guy. 
But the danger for us pretty good guys is that we too easily pride ourselves and take some measure of comfort and security in the fact that we're not as great a sinner as someone else, and we make the mistake of presuming, you know, that we don't really need as much grace and mercy as someone else. It's, it's very, very easy to see the blatant sins of others but be blind to the duplicity and idolatry and hypocrisy of our own hearts and the pride of our own self-righteous delusions. Now we may say, well, look, I haven't actually committed any of those terrible sins. I haven't lived like a sinner like that woman. My life, my life has not been a train wreck. Okay. Your life hadn't been a train wreck. Give thanks to God for that. Thank the Lord for His his good providence by which He has protected you and preserved you and prevented you from making a wreck of your life because without His restraining grace, you certainly would have. You should thank God for that and give Him the glory, but don't miss the point. Don't miss the point. The point is, which Jesus wanted Simon to get, is that the only difference between that woman and Simon was that she knew her need, and he didn't. She knew what it really meant to be forgiven, and he didn't. She was moved with love in response to being forgiven, and he wasn't. Simon the Pharisee, the pretty good guy, you see, figured that, yeah, he might, yeah, he needed to be forgiven, but, well, you know, what shall we say? Maybe, maybe 50 denarii? Maybe? Certainly not very much. Whereas the woman knew that she had been forgiven 500, shall we say, 500,000, shall we say, 5 million denarii? But the point is that there is no such thing. There is no such person as a man or a woman who needs just a little bit of grace, just a little bit of mercy, just a little bit of forgiveness, just a little bit of Jesus. A little bit of Jesus. In the eyes of the Holy One, there really is no such thing as a pretty, good guy who needs a little grace, a little mercy, a little forgiveness, a little help, a little slack. Oh, no. In the eyes of the Holy One, we all are debtors who cannot pay what we owe. But The gospel of Jesus Christ is that God himself has made provision for the forgiveness of all our debts by paying our debt in full himself at his own cost. Remember, whenever a debt is forgiven, the one to whom it is owed is the one who actually pays it. And that's what happened on the cross of Jesus Christ. Was that just a little cost? 
did his death for you result in mm, just a little bit of forgiveness? Or an infinite and incalculable amount? Jesus said, he who is forgiven little loves little. And Jesus was being sarcastic. He meant that to bite and to sting. You know, it's, it's like Jesus said, Oh, those who are well need no physician. There's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 who need no repentance. Yeah, that's meant to sting and to bite. Was it a little thing? for a little forgiveness resulting in a little love that he died to pay the debt of all your sins? Anybody who thinks that he's a pretty good guy or gal in relationship to God just doesn't get it. And that's what Jesus was saying to Simon. You just don't get it. But she did. And she loved much. And Jesus accepted her expression of gratitude and love and devotion. And he spoke to her this word of assurance. Your sins are forgiven. Watch what happens then. What All the guests around the table. What? What did he say? Huh? Huh? What? 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 Who is this? Who is this? Who is this who even forgives sins? And that question probably had a little bit of an edge on it, just like it did in other situations. Like this. Who does he think he is that he even forgives sins? Now the controversy isn't about that woman. Now the controversy is about Jesus. Now the question is not about that woman's identity as a sinner. It is about the identity of Jesus who forgives sins. You see, Simon had supposed that this woman's life of sin would have been obviously an obstacle between her and Jesus. If Jesus had known who and what kind of a woman she was, he wouldn't have let her get close to him because of her identity as a sinner. But that's because Simon didn't know Jesus' identity as the Son of God who came to seek and to save the lost and to forgive sins. And all of our sins, it 
if you, if you are a person, <laughs> if, if you are a person, and I think there's probably a lot of us in here who can identify with this, if you are a person, could have been identified as a sinner, made a wreck of your life? Are your sins, are your sins an obstacle and hindrance to keep you from Christ? Will he reject you? Here is your answer. All our sins, all our uncleannesses are no obstacle, no hindrance, no impediment to Jesus Christ. Because he is the one who has paid the cost of our debt forgiveness by his own death on the cross. And so even over the questioning, the grumbling, the protest of these other guests who are now questioning Jesus' identity, Jesus said to her, your faith, as if to affirm it and make it perfectly clear, your faith, and that is to say, your faith in me. Because it is very clear that she was expressing her faith in Jesus. Your faith in me has saved you. Now who is this that can proclaim that? Only God in flesh can proclaim that. Your faith in me has saved you. If God in the flesh proclaims that, who can take it away? No one on earth and no devil in hell. Go live a new life in peace with God. Because all of your sins are forgiven. A new life, debt-free. Dearly beloved, the gospel of Jesus Christ is that Christ died not for pretty good guys. If that were the case, we'd all be lost. The scripture says that while we were utterly helpless, Christ died for the ungodly. While we were still sinners. So come to him. Open up the alabaster jar of your heart. And pour out your love to him whose death has paid the debt which you could never pay. To God be the glory. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your great love for sinners. And we thank you for sending your Son to be the propitiation for all our sins. And we pray the blessing of your Holy Spirit
to grant us the grace to receive and to believe Jesus and to live with joy this new and debt-free life. To the glory of your name. Amen. In response to the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, let us stand to affirm the Christian faith as we read responsively from the Heidelberg Catechism. Dear Christian, what is your only comfort in life and in death? My only comfort is that I belong, body and soul, in life and in death, not to myself, but to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. At the cost of his own precious blood, he has fully paid for all my sins and has set me free from the dominion of the devil. He also watches over me so well that my hair can fall from without the will of my Father in heaven. Indeed, all things must work together to fit his purpose for my salvation. Therefore, because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, also assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly ready 